This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Um, we, we're, we're currently in a uh, four-week series, and uh, we're three weeks into uh, our, our short little four-week series. We have taken a break from the book of Judges, and we will be going into Advent uh, next week. Uh, Pastor Jeff will be finishing up the series. We are calling Karam Deo, which is an ancient Latin phrase, which means to live before the face of God. And what we're, we're looking at is what, what does it mean to, to live a life that's, that's not consumed with ourselves, but a life that as we were created to live, a, a life with, with God at the center of all that we do. And we'll be in the, the book of James, as I mentioned this morning, James chapter 1. And while you're turning there, uh, this past summer, for the first time in my life, I've, I've, I did something that I've, I've always wanted to do something that to me has always looked like a lot of fun. And, and, and that was as a family, while we were on vacation, we, we rented a jet ski. Has anyone ever do jet skiing before? Um, our hotel was next to an inlet of water, and for the first couple of days we were watching as these jet skis just kind of sped on by, and it just had visions of, of what fun this would be. So we, uh, we got ready, and we, we headed over to the, the jet ski place, quite excited, um, but but there, there was one thing I, I failed to take into account, and my visions of, of pure jet skiing bliss came crashing down when, when I realized that while the, the, the jet ski uh, rental place was kind of smack dab, and on one side there was an inlet with a bay, and that's what I was watching, and on the other side of the jet ski rental there was the ocean. And um, I don't know with how familiar you are with oceans, but oceans have these things called waves. And in my visions of jet skiing bliss, I wasn't anticipating any waves. And yet our instructor told me, you know, the, these jet skis can, can handle the waves. Even if it doesn't feel like it, just, just hold on, give it more gas, just trust the jet ski. The more gas you give, the, the better it will go. And just, just lean in, embrace the wave. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't believe you. And never quite gave it the, the gas that they said to. And I just always kind of felt off balance and disoriented. It always just felt like I was, I was one step away from just flipping the entire thing. And uh, I was happy when our, our time was up. Now my wife, on the other hand, she was having a, a blast, which kind of describes us. But... Um, uh, I, I was happy to get back on some solid ground, and we had some tacos for lunch, and I, I felt much better. But um, I, was, I wasn't anticipating the waves. And James, in our, our passage this morning, wants to help us to know what to do about the waves. When the trials of life come rolling in and, and threaten to throw us off balance, where do we find stability and solid ground? What do we cling to in the midst of trials? How, how do we continue to live coram Deo before the, life, before the face of God when, when life takes an unexpected turn and, and things get difficult? That's what our, our text addresses this morning. What James points us to 
is ultimately our, our only hope is a, a faith that is, is tethered to, that is, is holding tight to the goodness of our God. Here's, here's the, the big idea this morning. Living tethered to the goodness of God enables steadfast, joyful faith despite the trials we face. Say that one more time. Living tethered to the goodness of God enables steadfast, joyful faith despite the trials we face. We'll be in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. Will will you turn your attention now to God's word with me? This is the word of the Lord. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Father, we we do pray now that you would open your word to us this morning. Lord, we ask in your goodness that you would help us to see your goodness, Lord God. Help us to see what we can often be so blind to, yet is, is, is right in front of us, Lord God. Change us by your word, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, James points us to three characteristics of how we live tethered to the goodness of God, even in the, the midst of trials. Here's the, the three points of our sermon this morning. Point number one, we live in the goodness of God by embracing God's purposes. We'll see that in verses two through four. Point number two, we live in the goodness of God by taking hold of God's provision. We'll see that in verses five through eight. And point number three, we live in the goodness of God by clinging to God's promises. We'll see that in verses nine through 12. So let's look at point number one. We live in the goodness of God by embracing God's purposes. To give you some brief background to, to what we're, we're reading this morning, uh, James, who happens to be the brother of our Lord Jesus and the leader of the Jerusalem church, is, is writing to a group of believers who have fallen on hard times. They've fled their home in Jerusalem because of persecution. And if you're familiar with the, the phrase, jumping out of the, the frying pan into the fire, 
Well, well, that's a good description of what's going on in their world. They, they have fled persecution, and they find that their, the, the new neighborhood that they've settled down in is actually a lot like the old one. And the, the people of their, their new town have not taken to them as they would have hoped. And the, the rich and powerful are exploiting them and taking advantage of their desperate condition. They're experiencing, as James says in, in verse 2, trials of, of various kinds. And, and yet James opens his letter to them, encouraging them to, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I think you, you can read that and just, just raise some questions, right? What, what, what is he getting at here? You may be wondering as as you read this, is James advocating some kind of positive thinking technique? It's just the ancient equivalent to the, the Lion King's Hakuna Matata, right? Our problem-free philosophy. Just ignore the problems in life and hopefully they'll, they'll go away. Is that what James is getting at here? Well, no. If you, if you read the book of James, you'll, you'll see that that is, is not what James is, is saying by any means. You'll find that James is, is actually probably the, the last person who would ever try to, to minimize the, the significance of the hard things we, we go through. Time and time again, James is reminding his readers that, that suffering matters. It's not a small thing. It's, it's not an illusion. It's not something to, to simply be ignored. In fact, James is constantly telling us it's God's people those with true faith and true love. We need to respond and, and help those who are in the midst of suffering. It doesn't take suffering as a small thing. So what is James saying here? What he's saying is that when we face the inevitable trials that, that we all face as believers, we, we, we need to enter these trials with a clear sense, a clear understanding of, of how we're supposed to be thinking about them. James says we're to, to count it all joy. The, the word count here means to, to come to a, a settled conviction about something. He's saying here, here's what you need to understand about your trials. When you're experiencing hard things in life, though difficult, that God is doing something in the midst of your trials. And while the, the trials themselves may be cause for grief, we, we can take joy in the work that God is doing through them. What is the, the good that God is, is doing in these trials? He says in verse 3 and 4 that we can know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. He says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials, he says, serve to, to test our faith. Not in the, the type of test that you and I are, are typically used to where you evaluate someone's competency in a, a certain area. Rather, this, this testing that, that James is talking about is a type of testing that's, that's done on precious metals like gold, where the gold is, is placed into this incredibly hot furnace and the impurities are, are melted out of it. Though the, through, through this testing, the, the gold becomes a, a pure more valuable form of itself. This is what James says is happening in our trials. The, the, the trials function as a, a furnace to, to continually purify our faith. 
The Apostle Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7. He says something very similar to, to what James is saying here. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Right? We, we can be grieved by trials. He says, So that the, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is purifying our faith, and as Peter says, our, our faith is even more precious than gold itself. Nothing we, we possess is of more value than our faith. No, nothing even comes close. It's through our faith that we are united to Christ. And all that, that is His is, is ours in Christ. What riches we have in Him through our faith. And James says not only is God purifying our, our faith through the experience of trials, but that God is actually using these trials to, to grow us into the, the people that He's created us to be. He says those that are perfect and complete in Him, lacking in nothing. In other words, He's He's forming us by trials little by little, day by day, to, to be more like Jesus. It's what God is doing in us. The word perfect and complete speaks of being made mature and, and whole. This is the, the same thing that the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 when he says that, that God is building us up in such a way until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is what he talks about in Romans when he says that we're being conformed to the image of His Son. This is, this is what God is doing in us. Friends, we, we were those who were created in the image of God. Right? Our, our, our purpose was to, to glorify God by imaging forth His, his goodness and his, his moral excellence. And yet, through our sin, we have defaced and, and defiled that image. The image still remains, though it's kind of like a, a shattered mirror. We can see glimpses of God's image in us, but it needs to be restored. It needs, it needs to be made whole, and, and that is what the, the Lord is doing in us. He's, he's restoring us to the people He has created us to be. And like a master sculptor, He is at work, and He uses the trials we face as, as one of His tools that shape us to be more like Jesus. You might hear this and go, okay, sounds nice, sounds, sounds good. That's wonderful. But, but, but think what this means. He's not just, just forming us into these kind of specimens of perfection so that all can just, the world can look at us and just admire us. But when he's growing us, when he's, he's growing our faith and shaping our faith, he's actually increasing our capacity for him. Right? He, he's forming us to be those who, who take greater delight in him. He's increasing our, our trust in Him and the, the peace that, that comes through that trust. He's growing us into to more loving people and the, the joy that's found in being able to take our eyes off ourselves and, and serve others and, and serve the Lord. Friends, this is why James says we can count it all joy. Because the, the more our faith grows and the, the more our faith matures, the more of the, the goodness of God we experience. 
the, the work he's doing is expanding our capacity for joy in him. And yet, with that work, James, in verse 4, does warn us that, that we can actually get in the way of what God's doing. He says in verse 4, we need to let steadfastness have its full effect. God's the one at work, but, but we can resist what He's doing in a way where, where we don't let steadfastness have its full effect. Some of you know, uh, before I became a pastor, I was I uh, worked in the remodeling industry, and I remember a number of years ago, we had a, a big project, um, was really excited about it, we, we, were, we thought it was going to come out great, uh, clients seemed uh, super nice, and I uh, just couldn't wait for the, the project to get started and, and to see how it all turned out. Um, but as the, the project got into the, the demolition phase, where we started kind of dismantling things and taking things apart, uh, this, these really nice, excited clients became really anxious and really hard to deal with clients. And they, they, they started to kind of freak out a little bit and, and actually started to get in the, the way of the, the work that, that we were doing. Our, our workers would, would leave at the end of the day and they, they'd come back the next morning and, and things had been moved around. They were taking stuff apart. They were touching things they weren't supposed to be touching. We, we had to go back and, and redo work that, that we had already done. And ultimately, we, we had to, to sit them down and have a pretty serious conversation with them and say, you need, us, you need to let us do the work that we're here to do. Even if at the moment all you see is a mess, will you trust that we have a plan and we will carry that plan out to completion? And uh, thankfully, they listened. So happy ending. Uh, we actually um, even took pictures of the project. We used it for years in advertising, so it came out really nice. But friends, isn't this what we can do with the Lord? Sometimes all we see is the mess before us and, and ha have no idea how God could, could work through this mess. And we, we can even start to try to take matters into our own hands and in a way that, that God's not calling us to do. What we do is we, we just make things worse. And the Lord says, let me do my work in you. Know that I have good purposes for you. Know that I am forming you into the person I have created you to be. Making you whole and like my glorious son, little by little, bit by bit, purifying your, your most precious faith. Friends, let steadfastness have its full effect. Let us embrace this good work God is doing in our trials and the good purposes of God by, by trusting him and, and living out that faith. And this leads us to our, our second point, which is, Point number two, we live in the goodness of God by seeking his provision. James tells us in verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. James has just gotten done, we saw in verse four, telling us how God is, is supplying what we lack. And then he, he gets specific here and says, oh yeah, by the way, he, he supplies wisdom. Because friends, don't, don't we need wisdom in the, 
in the midst of trials, just so desperately. Wisdom is the ability to see reality the way God has created and to, to live out of that reality. It's, it's God's perspective becoming our perspective and, and skillfully living out of that perspective. How often in trials do we just feel absolutely clueless and, and helpless? How often is, is what we need the most in trials is, 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 Lord, I need wisdom. I'm not seeing things rightly. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask. Go to God with your needs. And one of the things I, I so appreciate about James, and just a quick plug is that um, we are studying the book of James as in our men's Bible studies, still in chapter one. Join us, it's a wonderful book. Um, but uh, yeah, shameless plug with that. But he, James just gives us just such a, a clear vision of the goodness of God, right? I, I, I was... I wanted to be able to go further in this passage, just realized I couldn't, but, but we, we see this even further on. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Right? This is our God. What a good God we have. And, and James gives us a vision of this God. James says this God is a, a key understanding of His goodness, is that He is generous. J.I. Packer in his excellent book, Knowing God, uh, which if you haven't read, highly recommend it, um, describes the generosity of God in this way. He says, within God's moral perfections, there is one in particular to which the, the term goodness points. This is the quality of generosity. Generosity means a disposition to give to others in a way which has no mercenary motive and is not limited by what the recipients deserve but consistently goes beyond it. In other words, God has no ulterior motives in His giving. There's just this desire to, to give out of the overflow of His goodness. He's eager to give us what we need because He's good and He loves us and He delights to, to meet our needs. Think of the, the most joyfully generous person you know. Perhaps you know someone who just loves to give. It's their, their joy. And yet that person is just the, the smallest reflection of what is the, the massive generosity of the heart of God. James says he gives without reproach, which means he, he even gives without finding faults, right? Which is amazing if you, if you think about it, because that's the reason we're, we're going to him in the first place is because we lack certain things we should have, Right? Because we're not yet perfected. Because we're not who we should be. Because we have faults, right? And yet we can come to Him clearly worthy of reproach. And James says He gives without reproach. What grace this is. What, what goodness this is. And the reason He's able to do this is because in God's greatest gift of goodness and his his greatest expression of his generosity he has given us his very own son he, who who came and and took our reproach upon himself and bore it on the cross so now that we can have free access we give him our reproach and he gives us all that he has and all that he is we can come to him reproach free 
As Paul reasons in, in Romans 8.32, he says, He who, who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? Every time we come to God for anything, is a reminder that, yes, he's already given me the, the greatest gift of generosity that he could ever possibly give me. Everything we ask for is a reminder of that greatest gift. And he'll give us what we need for the, the trials we face, what we need to, to live before him. Friends, if you're in the midst of a trial today, will, will you go to him trusting, knowing he will give you what you need? Here's the, the other thing about trials is that if, if, if we're not careful, our, our, through our trials, our, our circumstances actually begin to interpret God and his ways for us rather than God interpreting our circumstances for us, right? And rather than living with an understanding that we, we live under the, the goodness and care of a father who's, who's good and who's doing good in our lives, we, we begin to, to question the, the wisdom and the, the goodness of God. Our circumstances can, can preach to us, to tell us how we should, should think about things. And if we're not careful, we begin to, to doubt the, the goodness of God. Before we know it, we, we've drifted to a place spiritually that, that we, we didn't think we, we would be. And, and James warns us about this in verse 6. Here, here James describes someone who's who's coming to God in prayer, and yet God isn't giving him the wisdom that he's, he's asking for. He says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He says this, this person who he, he calls the one who doubts, is someone who's allowed the, the circumstances of life to, to dictate how they think about things and how they, they think about the Lord, right? He doesn't see God is, is good in all things. He's, this is a person that, that like a wave of the sea, is, is driven and, and tossed by the wind. It's a person who's, who's constantly changing their, their thinking depending on what's happening in life. Like me on the, the jet ski, there's just there's no stability, right? Just wherever the, the waves will take them. There, there's nothing that's, that's anchoring them steady. Circumstances of life, oh, he's dictating what, what they'll believe. Life is, is lived in a, a constant state of, of wavering, never holding to any true convictions. Kind of the, the spiritual equivalent of the politician that kind of just puts his finger to the wind and you know whatever popular opinion is that day that's that's the stance he's taking James says this this person he's describing is is double-minded speaks of someone who who thinks two different things at once they, they can't make up their mind James isn't talking here just about a, a moment of of struggling with doubt as as we all with imperfect faith can can struggle with at times James says, rather, this person's life is marked by his doubting. He says, this person is unstable in all his ways. This is what characterizes his life. Friends, this is what happens when we fail to anchor ourselves to the goodness of God and allow the, the circumstances of life to, to dictate how we see things. 
Essentially what James says is God's not going to give wisdom to someone who actually really has no desire for it. They have, they have no plans to use the, the wisdom he gives. They have no plans to, to value it for the, the precious gift that it is. And yet, in chapter 4 in James, you, you see God even invites this person to, to draw near to him in repentance. Friends, when the trials of life tempt us to lose sight of the goodness of God, let us go to him. Lord, speak your wisdom to me. One, one of the, the questions that, that could be helpful to help us guard against this, this double-mindedness is, am I valuing your wisdom that is found in your word? Right? Am I treating your word as the incredible gift that it is? Or am I valuing other things? Social media, Netflix, things of far lesser value. God wants to give us the wisdom we need, which is such generosity. He's so good. As we hear him speak to us in his wisdom, let us cling to the, the good promises he speaks to us with, which is our third and final point. Point number three, we live in the goodness of God by clinging to his promises. Verse 9 through 12, James essentially says, let me paint a picture of what living in the goodness of God could look like in one of the, the trials that you, you find yourself in. It gives the example of those who find themselves facing the trial of poverty. What does it look like to cling to his promises in the midst of a trial like poverty? He says, verse 10, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation like a flower of the grass will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits James uses this illustration of the, the lifespan of a, a wildflower to bring home just, just how temporary life is in the arid climate of the, the Middle East, the desert winds would come in and they would be so hot that even vegetation just a day ago that was, was green and lush would, would, would die and wither from this heat. He says how similar to the life of a flower is, is our lives. Like a flower, he says there, there's an attractiveness to the life of the, the rich person he describes here. Something you, you take notice of but again, like all of life under the sun, it's, it's only temporary. You blink and it's over. Rich and poor. You, you, you can spend your entire life admired by those around you and it, it still flies by. Yet James says the lowly brother here, the one who lacks the world's resources, while he doesn't have riches from a worldly standpoint, nevertheless he has something to boast about. What James refers to as his exaltation. When we as believers receive all that we have hoped for, when we shall see our, our Savior face to face, when we shall finally be perfected and completed in his image, clothed in his robes of righteousness, when all our, our weaknesses shall be no more, when sin and sickness 
and death shall be from a bygone era when we shall receive the place that our Savior has been preparing for us. We shall dwell in the, the presence of our Lord forever. This is what James is saying, our exaltation. Let the, the rich brother boast in this. Now while Scripture typically tells us not to boast, James says that, that, that you got something to boast about here. When, when, when you boast about something, you, you take joy in it, right? You, you talk about it. You, you find your I- identity wrapped up in what you, you boast about. It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. James is saying here that this eternal hope we have and all that God has promised should not just be this occasional thing that we, we think about every once in a while, but something that, that fills us with joy right now. Friends, when, when we live this way, re- rejoicing with, with an eternal mindset, the, the, the trials that we face here don't, are, are, are not quite as destabilizing as, as they once were. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, he calls our, our trials, our affliction, he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. They're not worth comparing when we think about what, what lies ahead. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, like riches, like life, are transient. But the, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It, it, in light of how massively glorious what awaits is, it, it, it just... It, it makes the current trials just pale in comparison. This doesn't mean that, that things will, will just be, be easy. It does mean there's a, a stabilizing effect it has on our hearts. Not only does our, our hope of eternity affect how we experience our trials, but, but trials also return the favor and, and can serve to increase our desire for eternity. Our, our trials can serve as, as signposts that there, there's something better ahead, right? When, when we face trials, it's a reminder, yeah, Lord, th- this isn't it. There, there's something better that awaits. So author Johnny Erickson Tata, woman who has spent over 50 years uh, paralyzed from a diving accident, um, who has written some wonderful books, um, says, says the following. She says, affliction is what fuels the furnace of this heaven hearted hope. Affliction is what fuels the furnace of this heaven-hearted hope. People whose lives are unscathed by affliction have a less energetic hope, right? Friends, are, are, are you allowing the affliction in your life to, to fuel this, this heaven-hearted hope, right? Heaven-hearted hope. I like that. Um, are, are, are you living in anticipation of, of what lies ahead of what is is far better you know i i, I recently um was in in the word and quiet time and just just felt the lord just asking me some of those questions are, are you living in anticipation for eternity does would, would that describe you right I, I was reading just different parts of the new testament and you just see descriptions of the the new testament believers that they're they're longing for the appearance of Jesus, right? You see just the come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? There's this, this heart that, that can't wait to see Jesus again. 
face to face and found myself asking just do, do I do I do this? Is this does this describe me? Do I live with with this eternal mindset and eagerly await the the exaltation that James talks about here? Am I just so caught up in, in what's going on in the here and now? And, and honestly, I felt convicted by the Spirit that, that I don't always live with, with inter- eternity in view as, as I should. I want to grow in this. I want to do this. And, 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 and what I, I realize is that while often it can be my own comfort that distracts me, um, we, we, as American Christians, live in a, a comfortable uh, place, um, many material comforts, but oftentimes it's not the, the comfort that distracts me, but, but going through trials and just losing sight of the, the goodness of the Lord in the midst of it. Feeling to, to allow God to, to use these trials to, to remind me of His promises. Somebody, as you know, sometimes trials just have this ability to, to just suck all the air out of a room, right? It's what's on your mind 24-7. And felt James saying, how, how, how do you live with this eternal perspective? As we uh, close up here, I want to just give two closing applications, two things to think about. How can we live with an eternal mindset? First is let's take advantage of this Advent season that's coming up in just two weeks. begins this holiday season where we can be so distracted um, we uh, running around with, with gifts and festivities. Let, let us not lose sight of the one who it's all about. And, and Advent is meant to be a time when we reflect on the fact that our Lord has come and He's coming again. And it's meant to be a time to prepare our hearts for, for His arrival. And I'd, I'd encourage you, just spend some time talking with friends or family. Maybe get an Advent devotional. Just let us take advantage of this, this season together. Let's go into this before we, we hit all the, the chaos. Let us go into this just intentionally. Lord, I want to encounter you in the midst of this. Lord, I want that eternal mindset. Lord God, help me with that. And then second, Charles Spurgeon says the following. He says, Christian, meditate much on heaven. It will help thee to press on and to forget the toil of the way. This veil of tears is but the pathway to the better country. This world of woe is but the stepping stone to a world of bliss. And after death, what cometh? What wonder world will open upon our astonished sight? Man, I love Spurgeon. Christian, meditate much on heaven. Right? Find, find a way. This is something we need to do daily. Find a way to create rhythms in your life where you just spend time reflecting on what awaits. Perhaps it's praying the Lord's Prayer daily and just spending time as you, you pray, thy, thy kingdom come. Lord, help me think about what that looks like. Maybe it's memorizing certain passages of Scripture. Uh, whatever, whatever it is, find rhythms in life to just remind yourself of the exaltation that awaits so that we can daily find ourselves boasting in what the Lord has promised. Friends, James closes our text with this encouragement in verse 12. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. 
which God has promised to those who love Him. Friends, may we live clinging to the goodness of our God. May it be an anchor for our souls. May we embrace and rejoice in His good promises. He is perfecting and completing His work in us. May we seek His good provision for all that we need, crying out and receiving the mercy that He gives. May we cling to the promises we have in Him and live for that great day when our faith will be made sight. Let's pray.